0: So I've titled the message today, Stephen, a man full of God. Let's stand together, Acts chapter 6, verses 8 through 15. Acts 6, verses 8 through 15. Now, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called. These, the synagogue of the freedmen were Jews who were given their independence by the Roman government. Also Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified. This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard from him, we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for Stephen. We thank you for his example. May we learn from this great man of God. May we live like him. May we be unashamed like he is and like he was. And we prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated, everybody. Just a point here that uh, before we jump into all of it. When you read this entire passage, do you see any similarities to Jesus? Do you not see that the same um, strategy was used against Stephen as was used against Jesus? They basically bribed people to make up things. They brought him and drug him before the Sanhedrin, which was a group of religious leaders. They lied about him, and they eventually killed him. I want you to notice several things. There are two, two segments to this message, and i lay it out. No, number one is the, the opposition. Notice the opposition. In verse 9, it says, Opposition arose, however, from certain groups of the Jewish synagogue. Let me, know, let me, let me point out several things to you. About this opposition number one this opposition was religious but not spiritual very religious but they weren't spiritual I want to tell you this in applying this to our lives we see this happen quite often many times godly spiritual people are opposed by those who claim to be brothers or sisters in Christ when in actuality, they're not really brothers or sisters. They're, they're either apostates, actually an apostate is one who's repudiated the faith, or they're, they're false, they're not true Christians. <clears throat> and they have a form of godliness, the Bible says, but they deny the power thereof. In other words, they talk to the talk they may in public settings walk the walk or look like they walk the walk they're very religious they're observant to religious traditions but they're not spiritual meaning they don't have a relationship with jesus christ and they're not truly saved and let me just say this to you keep this in mind as you live for god as a committed christian there are times in your life that you will have those who claim to be christians who will be in opposition to you and actively fight against you and 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 create opposition against where you're going in your heart and life and those people are very religious but not spiritual you know what one of the saddest things in the world is that's to be a religious person but not a spiritual person. You know what that means? That means you have all the looks of being a Christian, but you're not really a Christian. And you're going through all of the, <clears throat> the um all of the steps, all of those things, but you're not really a Christian. What a shame it would be to live like that your whole life and to stand before God and God say to to you, or to me if we were in this situation, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. There will be many, the Bible says in that day, who will say, Lord, haven't we done great things in your name? Haven't we cast out demons in your name? And Jesus will say, I never knew you. Second thing about the opposition I want you to notice <clears throat> is that they were argumentative, not teachable. Argumentative, not teachable. In verse 9, it lays out who these people were. And it says, and they began to argue with Stephen. They began, began to argue with Stephen. You know, I've found over the years that... <clears throat> people ask questions, and sometimes questions are very, very good, and sometimes they're not. Sometimes they reveal something about you. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. When I was on a mission trip to India back in 2005, in one of the towns that we were in, in that group of Christians that we were a part of, there was a man who seemed to be everywhere that we were. So when we were at, at at the meetings he was there then we were at a private home he was there then when we were going around the village and he was with the group and what he was doing he constantly was questioning us about everything he claimed to be one of the believers and in those questions i noticed a pattern he would ask a question we would give an answer and then yet he would never listen to the answer and he was always trying to get to something else and I finally confronted him at the very end of, of our stay there. I said, you know, brother, I've figured you out. You're not interested in answers. You're not interested in the truth. You're just an argumentative person, and all you want to do is argue points. You're not interested in learning. And I rebuke you in the name of the Lord. I never, never saw the guy ever again after that, partly because we left And I'll just never forget that spirit. Just argumentative, argumentative, argumentative. There was no, he had no teachable spirit. And that's a sign to you. These people were in opposition. They were religious and not spiritual. And they had a very argumentative spirit. It says a lot about you there when you have that point. It's not to say that you don't have good questions. I love good questions. And sometimes people. Listen, questions reveal whether or not you have a teachable spirit or whether or not you have an argumentative spirit. Number three, they had position, but no power or standing with God. They had position, but no power or standing with God. It says here uh, in verses 8 through 10, you, you see who they were. They they were part of this group, and then they became part of the Sanhedrin. And it says that um, they could not stand up against the wisdom and the, uh, the Spirit gave Stephen as he spoke. They had no standing with God. They had position but no power with God. There are a lot of people in this world that have position, that have title. And they might wield some human power, But don't be afraid of that kind of person as a Christian. Fear, the Bible says, the one who has the power not only to take the body, but the soul too. And so you properly place your awe, your fear, your respect in God. And they had position and they might have had some earthly power, but they had no real power or standing with God. So don't let those people outside, out there, intimidate you. I can remember going to Cuba. Justin, you remember the year you and I went? What year was that? 2014. We went to Cuba. God, that long already? Nine years. So we went to Cuba. I think the second hottest place on earth, only to Deland, Florida. But I, I, I digress, and I've I, I got a story about Deland. But Went in July. I don't know if you know this about Cuba. We hear a lot about their government and about Castro when he was living, and it was awful what he did and what that government is still doing to the people. But one thing you don't hear about is, man, there is a thriving, godly, powerful, unafraid Christian community growing in that nation. They're everywhere. Some of the sweetest people you'll ever see. And I saw their joy and happiness. You know, the thing in Cuba you've got to realize is that nobody owns anything. So the pastor we were with, or, or a visiting pastor, I can't remember which one now, but one of them was saying he felt called to this particular town over here, but he couldn't go. The government won't let him go because, see, what he, he's got a house right here. He's got an apartment or a place or a house that's given to him by the government. And unless he finds a trade partner over there, he can't go. And then it's got to be approved by the government. And the point that I'm making is that you've got this powerful government over all these people. But one thing you can't take away from these Christians in Cuba is that they're full of joy. They're full of hope. They're full of Jesus. They're full of happiness. It's an amazing thing to see with your own eyes and to experience. They had standing with God. See, they weren't afraid of Castro in that way. They feared God more so. Number four, in this opposition, notice what they did. They stirred up trouble with false evidence. Verse 12, So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen, brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses, who testified, this fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs. Moses handed down to us all. They stirred up trouble with false evidence. Listen to me, friend. As Christians, our job is not to stir up trouble. Our job is to preach and teach and live out the truth and to preach and teach the gospel. Now, that will create an offense in and of itself. But the motive is coming from a heart for people to want to know Jesus and we want to give them the truth. But this kind of trouble was to persecute, was to demean, was to take hold of. This, this kind of trouble was to silence and to stop. And they stirred up trouble with false evidence, just like they did to Jesus. And number five, in the opposition, <clears throat> notice what they did. They even tried to twist. They twisted the words of Jesus. Listen to me here to fit their sinful narrative. They quoted, they said, or they tried to quote Jesus. They said, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. Jesus didn't come to change the customs of of Moses. Jesus came to fulfill them. He didn't come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill the word of God, to fulfill the law and so what they did was they took jesus's very words and when jesus was saying destroy this place and in three days i will raise it up we all know everybody understood it as he as he began to uh to declare it they, they heard him say it he was talking about his body he was talking about what would happen to him and in his resurrection but yet they were still holding on to that false narrative and they were trying to twist the words of jesus not unlike many today who claim to be christians who are twisting the words of the bible to try to fit their sinful narrative of a lifestyle and they are the opposition. They will oppose you and me because we speak the truth. They will call us unloving and hateful and bigoted and whatever name you want. See, I'm going to just say this to you. That does not upset me anymore. I wear it as a badge of honor. Because I don't care what your opinion is when your opinion is against the Word of God. I side with God. Let God deal with it. It's not up to me to defend. The Word of God will defend itself. And so be careful of people who call themselves Christians. They they drape themselves in the garments of Christianity. And some because they have no courage and many in that group because they are not Christians. They twist the Word of God. How can anybody read the Bible and think that homosexuality is okay in a Christian virtue? How can anybody read the Bible and think that same sex marriage is okay by God? The only way you can do that is to twist the Word of God. How can anybody read the Bible and say that it's okay to have sex outside of marriage? It's not. I don't care what you think or what I think. I don't care how many people have done it. It, it, it. Now, we have forgiveness in the Lord Jesus. All people have forgiveness who come to Him. Well, I'm a Christian, but I can still have my desires, and I can, still, I can call myself a gay Christian. That would be like me calling myself an adulterous Christian. Y'all meet me. I'm Corey. I'm a fornicating Christian. (laughs) What? (laughs) That one got you. (laughs) But that's what they do. They twist the words of Jesus to fit their sinful narrative. And that's what they're trying to do right here to Stephen. Okay? But there's a second part I want you to see. So we see the opposition. Now let's look at the man of God. Let's look at a man full of God, Stephen. Number one, he lived, modeled, and performed the same works as Jesus. He lived, modeled, and performed the same works as Jesus. Look at verse 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. He Just like the apostles Here, Stephen is a servant. Now keep in mind, we are in this transitory period between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And God was substantiating this new work. I mean, Paul was able to raise someone from the dead. It's what we call apostolic gifts and signs for that moment in time. But nonetheless, He lived, modeled, and performed the same works as Jesus. And listen, in the same way, we are to live and model the life of Jesus before the world. Speaking the truth, living the truth. Seeking to be full of grace and letting God pour out His power to us and within us. The second thing I want you to notice out of the four things about the man of God, a man full of God, notice that his wisdom, grace, and power was unmatched. It was unmatched. In verse 10, we looked at it from the opposition's point of view, now from the man of God's point of view, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. I heard a preacher recently say, and I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that he didn't mean it quite in this way because the Heavenly Father knows I stick my foot in my mouth quite often. And I can say things and you might take it a different way and I didn't mean it that way, and I, so I get that. But I've heard more than, I've heard it said more than once. But I heard this said recently that Jesus chose fishermen because they were dumb. Hmm. Who, did, uh, who did Jesus use on the day of Pentecost to preach one of the greatest, or the greatest Christian message ever preached? Thousands were saved that day. Oh, one of those dumb fishermen. No, they were uneducated from a formal education standpoint but they were not dumb That's right. they were not not smart some of the smartest people I know are people who work with their hands who are involved in the trades I mean some of the greatest people that have built the greatest businesses didn't have a college degree no here were Uneducated, unpowerful, unconnected people in the world that God was using. This man in particular, Stephen. He was full of wisdom because he probably knew the knowledge of God that came from the Word of God. He allowed that to permeate within his spirit. The grace of God was upon him and he had unbelievable personal power and it says that he was full of grace and power you know we talked about that today in Sunday school that a man a physical man should be could be dangerous and we studied about Moses today and how Moses early on in his life murdered a man killed a man in his anger and rage because his power was misplaced early on in his life. But as he grew in the second set of, you know, between age 40 and, and age 80, he, he became full of wisdom and, and then usable to God. And he was able to direct that power in, a, in, a, in an amazing direction. And God used him to lead God's people through the Red Sea and ultimately through his leadership into the promised land, even though he didn't get to go. He had wisdom and grace and power. And it was unmatched. Both gracious and powerful. Harmless, wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. That's the kind of man Stephen was. He was a man among boys spiritually. And yet, this circus, this court that he was with, this group of Sanhedrin, these religious potentates. Somebody asked me one time in the middle of a sermon, I used the word potentate. He was sitting about, Eric is sitting right over there. I think you remember who that was. He asked me and he said, what is a potentate? I said, a grand poobaha. (laughs) A grand poobaha. Meaning somebody that's got some power, that thinks that they're all that around these, 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 the Sanhedrin. They, they thought they wielded a lot of power. And they did to affect people's lives, no doubt. But their power was, was nothing compared to Stephen's. You might have people in your life that have a lot more money than you. That have a lot more position in this world than you, and that can wield it against you. But always know this that if you walk with the Lord, you're filled with grace and His power. Listen, the power that you have can never be matched by them, because it's unworldly. It's not of this world, the power that God gives you. Number three, He was led inspired and filled with the spirit don't let this go by you when you read this in verse 10 it says but they could not stand against it the wisdom the spirit gave him as he spoke what does the bible say the bible says in zechariah it's not by might not by power but by my spirit says the lord he was led inspired and filled with the spirit what does that mean That means that he was controlled by the Spirit. Last week we said that you know, they chose these seven men full of the Holy Spirit, which means that they were under the control of the Spirit of God. And then daily, they were allowing themselves to be filled with the Spirit. Every day when we wake up, we have a choice. I have a choice to be filled with Corey and his frustrations or to be filled with the hope and the love and the power of the holy spirit and some days to start today corey takes over because the flesh is weak yeah absolutely but as a christian you know that the, your, your your disposition isn't right you sense it you know it you feel it and and you, you can't quite get it right until you surrender your will your feelings your thoughts Your anxieties on that day to the Holy Spirit. And then He fills you. And then you can be led and inspired by Him to do what you normally can't do. (laughs) There's a verse in the Bible in Ephesians chapter 5. It says, be filled with the Spirit. No, No, actually it says, do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation but be filled with the Spirit. And then it says singing and making a melody in your heart, singing psalms and hymns to each other. You say, why, 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 why do you use drunkenness and filling with the Spirit? Because, see, when you're drunk, you do things that you otherwise might not do in your right mind. That's right. And I say... When you are drunk from an alcoholic beverage, you are under the control of a satanic spirit. I didn't, say that, I didn't say that that spirit came to live within you, but you are under the control. What do they call these places that sell it? Spirits! Think about that for a moment. A, B, C, liquor and spirits, or spirits and wine. Spirits. There's a reason it's a spirit. But on the other hand, when you're filled with the spirit as opposed to being drunk with wine, you're able to do things that you can never do in your own strength and in your own flesh. Like forgive someone who who deeply hurt you. Or love someone who's an enemy to you. Or shake the hand of someone that's deeply wronged one of your family members. Or get up and keep living for Christ in spite of horrific things that happen in your life. Stephen was a man. He was led and inspired, and he was filled with the Spirit. The last thing I want you to see is this. This is pretty amazing. The presence of God was visible in his appearance. Let me ask you this question Have you seen somebody who was living in sin? I mean, you know, look, people who are lost, they're all equally lost. The businessman that's a multimillionaire that wears all the nice clothes, got the yacht, got the best vehicle, got the nicest of everything, versus the drunk on skid row. They are both hopelessly lost without Christ. What's the difference? The difference is in the outward... Um, um, I just had the word on the top of my, my thought process. Uh, the outward decay. The outward decay just looks different. And somebody who's lost, and, you know, I'll never forget this. I saw a picture of my dad years and years and years ago. I remember this picture vividly. Um, It was before he was saved. It was in a time in his life when he was very troubled. Things were difficult in our lives. And then another picture I saw you know, a year or two after he was saved, and I put those two pictures side by side, and one was a younger man, one was, you know, 10 years older perhaps, and the picture was striking. The man who was lost before salvation looked looked miserable, looked unhappy, and the man in this other picture was glowing, if you will. Haven't you seen that in people? who once were living in sin away from God, they get saved and all of a sudden they change? Isn't that a beautiful thing? Their presence, the presence of God <clears throat> is visible in their spirit. Well, here's, here's what's amazing and in, on their face. <clears throat> they use Moses and they said, uh, Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. Here's the irony about this. Remember what happened to Moses when he went to get the Ten Commandments and he would spend time with God? Anybody remember this in the Old Testament? What did he have to do to himself when he went back to the people? He had to cover his face because he had been in the presence of God that people could not... It would be like looking into the sun. Your eyes would kind of be burnt couldn't look upon Moses. So he had to put the veil over his head. And when Moses wasn't spending time with God anymore, so that the people would think that he was still spending time with God, he'd still put the veil over his head. So the accused this man, of wanting to destroy the customs of Moses. But the very thing that happened to Moses, the glory of God that was on Moses' face, in some way, was on the face of Stephen. He says, he kind of looked like an angel. Now, I know what people are thinking. Oh, he had a halo over his head. Get out of here, man. Angels don't look like that. Just like Jesus wasn't a Southern California long-haired hippie. Jesus was probably a darker-skinned man with a, with a strong, thick black beard, and you couldn't pick him out out of a crowd. Angels?. Whew. Why do you think every time an angel appears to somebody in, in, in the Bible, the first thing they tell, tell everybody, don't fear. His angels are powerful. When they looked at Stephen, they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. God, the presence of God was visible in his appearance. Church, Christian, I end with this. let's also strive to live our lives in such a way that we would spend and be with the Lord and walk with Him in such a way that it would show on our face. In other words, that people could sense His presence just because we're there. Not because we're special, but because He is special. Because he's amazing. This is the kind of man that in the next chapter will preach another a message that's amazing. And boy, there's some amazing truth in everything that he lays out. And then as a result of that, he didn't get to stand at the back door of a church in the foyer where people shook his hand and. And hugged on him and said, oh, pastor, thank you for that message. But instead, they took up stones and they killed him for that message. He was a man full of God, full of faith. So I see some similarities between what's happened there in this situation and what's going on in our lives today. We face opposition everywhere we turn opposition to what we believe opposition to our lifestyle opposition to our to our god to the truth and but we have a choice we can be defeated And we can question God all day as to why this is happening and why isn't the beautiful American dream shining on us and why am I not popular and people don't just love me. Or we can be like Stephen and just rest in who we are and let God have His purpose in our lives and live our life for His glory. Let His glory shine upon us and let's just be full of faith, wisdom, full of God like Stephen. He's he's an example to us. And then we're going to see something that really tells you who this man really was as he's being stoned to death. Get ahead of me and go start reading about that. And you'll see what I'm talking about. I'm grateful for a man like Stephen, a man full of God, who's an example. I don't think in this life I'll ever be like Stephen. But boy, I tell you what, he set the bar pretty high. I have an example to follow, and so do you. Let's stand together, everybody. Father, we are so grateful. Immensely grateful for the example of Stephen. For what we have in his life. The treasure of this dear brother who was so faithful to You. Cared nothing about his own personal safety when it came to the presentation of the Gospel and the truth of the Lord. Father, I pray that as You were with Stephen, You would be with us. And I know You will be because You promised us that. Even to the very end, as Stephen was being stoned to death, he looked up and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Encourage us, Father, today. May we be encouraged by the example of Stephen. And may we be committed to the things that he was committed to. May we not be taken aback or caught by surprise by the opposition and the trouble created by those who ultimately fight against you. Help us to be strong and courageous. As God has spoken to us today, I encourage you, Christian, my Christian brothers and sisters in the Lord, be that man, be that woman of God. Be courageous. Stand for Him. When you're tired, He'll be there with you. When you're discouraged, He'll be with you. When you're full of yourself, He will remind you that without Him you can do nothing. Trust Him today, dear people of God. Let Him embolden you and strengthen you for the cause of Christ. Come to this altar if you feel the need to, to pray and to seek His strength in humility. If God's leading you to be a part of our church, as the Lord has so blessed us recently with new people, new wonderful families coming to be a part of this one big family, making us a stronger family, or if you've never received Christ, today is the day for you if you trust Him. But you've got to come to Him His way. You don't come making demands. You come just as you are, trusting Him, humbly receiving Him as your Lord and Savior today. And He will fill you. He will change you. He will clean you up. And then you can be part of a family where we can all grow together for God's glory. Maybe some of you want to come and pray for Vacation Bible School. Pray for these workers. Pray for our children. Pray for everybody involved, all the hard work that they put in. We have a lot to pray about. Thank you, Father. And we prayed in Jesus' name. As our worship team leads us this morning, you do what God leads you to do, and trust Him this morning.